2: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. It is Friday, February 8th, 2019. I'm Steve Peasley, and I do thank you for joining me today again. Fifth Friday, this is Friday, so five five days, and here we are at the end of the week, and weekend is upon us. That's just great. Everybody loves the weekend. I do too. Now, whether you're a regular listener or new, it doesn't matter. We'd love to help you out. We want to help you gain that. Now, I've been talking about it all week, financial freedom that we all want. Almost everybody that I know wants it. Some people don't. I've met people that are not interested at all. Um, one of my friends in Boston, he really wants to work till they take him away from the desk because he loves it. So it depends on you. It depends on what it means to you. But all of us need to make money. According to uh, Susie Orman, I think she said you needed $5 million or $10 million to have financial freedom. I don't know, That's that, that, that seems a little, little high. But she was also talking about uh, 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 preparing for unexpected catastrophes, financial catastrophes, but that's not really likely to happen. So what you do is you just base it on what will most likely happen. And the most likely thing that people don't Don't plan for is uh, about a $250,000 expense, medical expense in retirement. In addition to being covered. I'm not talking about the coverage they give you, you know, from Medicare. I'm talking about out-of-pocket expenses of, of a quarter million dollars that you need to have money set aside for in retirement. And that's on average. Now, I will say this. I always look at statistics and say, okay, well, what can be wrong with that to statistics? And what's wrong with that statistic is during that retirement period, you don't need the 250000 because the bulk of that 250000 which is about, well, I think it was when I looked it up, 180000 or so, is end-of-life medical expense. When you're in, in a hospital and you're dying, <laughs> and you're, they're charging you an arm and a leg for that. Anyways, Everybody has a different different uh, idea of what financial freedom is, and I just want you to be prepared, and I want you to think about the medical costs in addition to that. In this hour, I'm going to do my best to help you. And to help you, uh, as on this show, on a best talk, is always answering questions, financial questions. So any financial questions you want to talk about or you want to ask, please give us a call. The listener line is always open, and we're live right now. And the number is 888- 99 chart, eight 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 nine nine two four two seven eight. 992 4278 Now, uh, some news. If you failed, failed to withhold enough tax in 2018, the IRS has a kind of a nasty surprise. Some early fl- filers took to Twitter to complain about owing taxes or receiving smaller refunds after they did their taxes, their 2018 tax returns. A part of that Tax Cut and Jobs Act, the IRS and Treasury adjusted the tax withholding tables. The tables were changed on you, which affects the amount of income taxes withheld from your pay. So you might want to take a look at it for at least 2019. Apple, have you heard about the problem Apple's been having? Uh, Apple says it has now patched one of its creepiest vulnerabilities. And I'm referring to a flaw in its FaceTime messenger app that made it possible for people to eavesdrop on audio and video captured by iPhones and Macs. The bug made it easy for someone to eavesdrop on another person by simply initiating a FaceTime call. Kind of scary. So, you know, what was really interesting, the 14-year-old Tucson discovered this flaw. Isn't that interesting? Well, Apple says they fixed it. Okay, shouldn't they not have happened? <laughs> I mean, I know I know coding is super complex, you know, when you're building codes into your software. So, I don't know. Okay, in the last 24 hours, the stock market has not acted very well. The last two days, I guess, maybe 48 hours. Today didn't have a really great day, um, but it really came back from being very weak. The Dow ended up being down sixty-three percent, sixty-three points, and the Nasdaq though was up ten, 10 points, and the SP up too. It was much more negative in the morning. Maybe that comeback in the afternoon. So that was kind of interesting. But you know, should you buy on the dips or should your dollar cost average? You know, dollar-cost average is putting the same amount of money in every pay period, let's say. You can do that with your 401k. Or should you wait for the market to collapse and then put money in? Which is better? Which one makes you more money? And in actuality, it's dollar-cost averaging. Dollar-cost averaging works better. Because first of all, people have trouble recognizing what a dip is and when to get in. They wait too long. Uh, second of all, um, you know... You, you just never you know you the the when the market's moving up you know you're buying you, you can't time it it's almost impossible to time it so you can't you can't buy dips okay yes you can buy dips but you can't be consistent at it that's the problem and people get scared get scared they think this dip is bear market and it's going to keep. Why am I putting money buying the dip here? They even do the same thing with dollar cost averaging. I have had some relatives years ago. I said, "You got a dollar, cost, you got a dollar cost average. Just stay with it. Don't ever stop." And this was years ago. And of course, they stopped. And they stopped right at the bottom of the market in 2008. And then 100% return in 2009. They missed it all. Don't stop. Don't stop. That's the that's the question. That's the answer to making money. If you're like in a 401k, or it doesn't matter where it is. If you just dollar cost average into the market, you'll be fine. As long as you have plenty of time. Plenty of time means years and years. Decade. Two decades. Three decades. As long as you have plenty of time. And as you can tell, there's always news. There's always news every day. And I will make ta- time to talk about some of the highlights of my my pay- KPP premium newsletter that went out this morning. We do that every Friday. So everybody got it all. Well, my clients all get it for free, but you can subscribe to it if you want to. But first, let's go ahead and grab a question from our In Time listener line number 888 99 Chart.
1: Hey guys, it's Carl from Philadelphia. Could you look up, tell me what you think of a closed-end fund, ticker symbol H-Y-I. That's Harry Yellow, Indiana. Thanks. Bye-bye.
2: H-Y-I is uh, Western Asset High Yield Dividend Opportunity Fund. A closed-end fund investing in high-yield corporate bonds, of very mature varying maturities for income and capital appreciation so you have to understand you know what high yield means this is my fear people say oh man that's paying a 7.4 percent dividend and that's really a great dividend I, I want to buy that because that dividend's so good but long as you know what high yield means high yield means means risky bonds. Basically, now there are, there are high yield bonds that are not nearly as risky as other high yield bonds. Okay, because it's a rating that one of the rating agencies established. You know, Standard and Poor's or whoever. You know, it's a and their their ratings are always wrong. So, <laughs> but you have to assume that there's also in any kind of fund there's going to be high risk, high risk in those high yield dividend funds. So. In a recession, the default rate of these high-yield bonds is more than 20%. Okay, compared to a non-high-yield bond, it's in the single digits, 3 4%. So that's the risk you're taking for getting 7.4% on a high-yield bond versus, let's say, 6% on a stock like AT&T. You see, so there's risk long as you understand that risk and you're not worried about a coming recession, there's nothing wrong with holding this this asset, Western Asset, High Yield, uh, Dividend Opportunity Fund, whatever it's called. But it also is closed in. If it's closed in, you don't want to pay a premium for it versus buying it at a discount. And if you don't know what I just said and you don't understand it, you shouldn't be messing around with closed-in funds. Because you don't know how they work. A closed-in fund has a finite number of shares to trade. Well, opened in fund keeps uh, issuing shares to anybody who buys the fund. But a closed-in fund has a finite a number of shares. And this one has about uh, uh, 327 million shares. Okay. Something like that. Okay. So, the fund, if there's a lot of demand for it, can move the price up. Most funds sell at their net asset value. Whatever they, whatever the assets are they're holding are worth inside that fund. In a closed-in fund, it could sell at a premium of whatever that value is or a discount depending on how much demand for the supply of stocks. How much demand for those stocks and how much supply is there for those stocks. If there's very little demand, the price will go down. If there's very high demand, price will go up. So, you don't want to pay a premium more than it's worth. So, it's kind of a tricky thing. Okay, we are already closing out the first week, you know, of February, which, by the way, ends the sixth week of the year. And doing the math, 2019 is already a little more than 10% over. Hey, we're already 10% into the new year. So, don't wait. Your financial freedom is at stake. Get me your questions now at 888-99-CHART.
0: This is Invest Talk, and it's hard to believe, but we are already into February, and you're going to need unbiased investing advice. We've got it covered. Steve's here now taking your questions live. Call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART.
2: 888-992-4278, our main talking point today. Home equity line of credit loans may look like found money, but tax law changes you know, are raising interest rates and complicating matters. So we're going to discuss that today. It's one of our main talking points. I also want to discuss Bank of America, or Merrill Lynch. Bank you know, of America bought Merrill Lynch, so it's just one company says keep buying the dips in the market the stock market so we'll explore why they say that the global economy could tip over right now it's just slowing but maybe it's going to tip over into recession we'll talk so that's going to be interesting and San Francisco Fed the Federal Reserve of the San Francisco area the the West Coast area um, remember, there's Federal Reserve Presidents in, what, 12 districts in the United States. The San Francisco Fed says it's good news that the economy is slowing down to 2%. That's good news to her. Is it good news? Well, we'll explain what, why she thinks that's so. Maybe she has a point. So we'll look at that. The market again. Now, Dow is down 63. The Nasdaq is up 10. The S&P up 2. And that was a pretty good down, turnaround from being weak most of the day so you know it wasn't it's a mixed market day and it's really interesting really really interesting in my newsletter today you know i always put a little video and first thing in the morning on there and i, I showed a chart of the s p 500 and it the the, the s p the nasdaq right at the 200 come came right up to the 200 day moving averages a couple three days ago and stopped and started down a little bit. So this is where there's gonna be a lot of struggle. It's also at the .61 line of the Fibonacci numbers. So, you know, this is this means that it's a bit more resistance than just normal. So we'll see if it can break through. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for making this program a part of your day, every day this week, and week in, week in, week out. I love it, thank you. Just and I are, do our best. We want to make it interesting. We try to. What makes it interesting is your phone calls. 888-99-CHART is our number.
0: Listening to Invest Talk, streamed and broadcast live Monday through Friday afternoons in the 4 o'clock hour Pacific time and available 24 7 via podcast replays at investtalk.com. Have you got a question for Steve? Call now 888 99Chart. 888 992
2: 4278. Give us a call. We'll talk about anything financial. Okay, so my premium newsletter goes out every Friday and every Friday morning, and it went out this morning. And I usually on Friday go on the, on the show here talk about the briefly about the various sections and what I talked about. Um, and I started off with the, the 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 fact that the auto industry not not even just ours but everywhere uh, is 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 bracing itself for a bad year this year, two thousand nineteen. Why? Because they have, uh, they've had, uh, they've had plenty of, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted here, <laughs> because they had a couple of really good years, and they feel that the demand is going to fall, and worldwide economies are, are, are contracting, and even our own economy is going to contract a little bit in 2019, and I mentioned that that is going to be, have pretty wide consequences because the, the auto industry has a lot of, uh, supports a lot of other peripheral industries as well. Transportation, you know, moving the cars around. The new cars got to be delivered. And then all the little various parts that go into making a car. You know, all that you know, supply uh, the tr- chain. That, 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 you know, that's a lot of businesses that down that chain. So it, it has a pretty big impact. In Germany, one of Germany's biggest problems is they export a lot of cars to China. And that's, you know, the EU, China, Japan, and all these countries that we exp- they, Germany exports to are not doing as well. So there's a problem there. So that, you know, then of course I talked about briefly about the trade war. And, you know, the, the problem you have is you have the United States and China. The United States economy is 20 trillion, China's 14 trillion, and we're having this trade war, right? Okay. The, all the other countries around the world are 5 trillion or less, and most of them much less than 5 trillion. So we're the two big dogs, and we're fighting over this bone, and other dogs, the little dogs around us, are, are being excluded and getting hurt by it. That's what's the problem. So, yeah, that's going to slow down their economies. How bad? And one other point I made in the newsletter. Trump needs a trade deal. Now, China needs it worse than the U.S. They need the deal worse than the U.S. But Trump himself only has a certain amount of time for his reelection. He needs that trade deal to point at as a success. So there's pressure on him, too. Kind of interesting dynamics going on there. So then, um, that's the main section, portfolio management section. Today, I talked about some of the statistics that you on a a company when you're looking at profitability measures, profit measuring the company. uh, What do you look at? What what are they? It's not just looking at oh they had two dollars and fifty cents earnings per share. No, there's a lot more to look at than just that. Okay, and uh, stock ideas. A couple of really. Big companies on there. And then the consumer watch. I talked about the biggest complaints that consumers have. Year in, year out. It's always on the auto industry. Did you know that? Servicing, mines, servicing, uh, leasing a car. That's where all the complaints come from. Every year. A ton of them. So, just a couple of suggestions on how to protect yourself on that. That was the newsletter. To this week anyways. Let's go to Brad in San Francisco. How are you doing, Brad?
0: Hey I got a question, Steve. Hey, I got a question,
2: Steve. Sure.
0: Um, I got three stocks. IBM, three stocks. Apple and Microsoft. I have a hundred thousand dollars of each one. And I want mm-hmm. to sell one and I want to sell one to build up mm-hmm. down in Arizona. Can you tell me which one you might? Get rid of if you
2: had those. I could, yeah. If it was me, I'd probably get rid of IBM. Of those well, IBM three. IBM
0: just kind of perked up after that Red Hat thing. They went up a little bit. I know oh, that.
2: I know that. I, I know that. I, you asked me a specific question of those three: IBM, Apple, and Microsoft. Which one would I sell? And it'd be IBM. Now, I didn't. You didn't ask me. You didn't ask me, would I sell I that if I had it in my own portfolio? And then I would have said, no, I'd keep it. I like IBM. But you didn't ask that. You, okay. you gave me three stocks. I like Apple better than IBM, and I like Microsoft better than IBM at this point. That's why. Okay, I have so, one simple, uh, so, looking
0: for some just general comments on the 5G industry and investments around that.
2: Oh, I think 5G is going to be a, a pretty. A, a, this is the year that 5G is going to take off, uh, and you know those building on a 5G. Uh, does that, maybe I should mention what that is? You know, we have we we are living in a 4G world now, and that's that is basically the speed of data being downloaded into your phone or any portable device. Okay, and. They it used to be just one G. Now it's one, two, three, four. Now it's five, and the five G is going to roll out big time this year. That's going to allow a lot of things to happen on your portable device much faster. And I'm thinking gaming. I Brad, that's where I think it's the most impactful will be on gaming. You know, where people will be. You know, on your phone, you have you can have live gaming going on, instant. Throughout, and you can play against other people's you know, phones. And I, I think that's where it's going to be the biggest impact, personally. Brad, appreciate the call. Thank you. Monday on Invest Talk: Are the near monopolistic practices of the big tech companies destructive to capitalism? Now, a case in the affirmative can be made. You know, this happened before in our history. You know, dominance. So, that's Monday, everybody. 888-99-CHART.
3: Your typical workday can be very busy. Assignments, appointments, responsibilities, obligations. Sometimes you start early and end late. For that reason alone, you may already be looking to the future, to a period when your money, your accumulated assets, are working for you and ultimately creating financial freedom. There are many voices suggesting financial planning services, but there's one company, one firm that offers a balanced variety of strategically designed investment plans. One firm that applies decades of experience to enable a client personalized collaboration. One firm that can show you how to optimize an investment portfolio that fits your lifestyle objectives and risk tolerance limitations. One firm that speaks with a clear, logical, and unbiased voice. Start with a contact call to KPP Financial, or visit kppfinancial.com.
0: Steve and Justin are always grateful when you make InvestTalk a part of your daily routine. And their unbiased guidance can be an invaluable aid to your efforts at building a strong portfolio. The phone lines are open. Steve is here and he's ready for your questions. Eight 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 ninety nine 99 chart
2: 888 chart Nine nine two four two seven eight. Okay, we're going to talk about ways to tap your uh, at-home equity, and I'm I'm reluctant to, to even bring this up because I don't like it. I don't like people tapping the equity in their home for cash. Why don't I like it? Because I think you need to have the house paid off before you retire. Okay, and then in retirement, it could be a store of wealth. Okay, so maybe in retirement I can you know, go with it, but most people tap it for other expenses. Is there a legitimate reason to dip into your home equity? Now, you can do different ways, right? You can you can actually borrow money, increase your loan amount on your house. You could uh, uh, get a line of credit. You know, that, you could do that. Or a home equity loan, you could do that. But is it... Wise? No. I, I don't think, And generally speaking, it's not a wise decision. The only time I can accept it, there's two two ways I can accept it. When you're in retirement and you need the money, I can accept it. I don't like it, but I can accept it because that's where your wealth is. You need to tap it. The other way is, if you need the money, which you shouldn't, but you need the money to make home repair or an improvement to make your house worth more money. But most people use that as an excuse to put in a new pool or something that does not necessarily make it more of uh, a payoff in making your house more valuable. A pool, swimming pool, for instance, people love to say, well, I'm increasing the value of my house. Yeah, but the cost of the pool does not equal how much extra you're going to get for your house. So it's not true. You just want to believe it is true. And some other people say, well, I'm going to borrow money to put in my, you know, solar paneling or whatever it is for. Uh, well, the, the, the math means you have to be there really 30 years, 20, 30 years to make it up usually. And most people live in their house seven years. So some of these things that you say is making my home improvement and fixing is not really True. But let's say your roof is leaking. You need a new roof. Okay. You have to, you have to take that from They got to have roofs. See, so uh, there are some times when, yeah, it's okay to tap into your home equity. But generally, I think it's a bad idea, at least until you're into retirement for a number of years and you need the money to live comfortably. Like, that I can buy. I think that's okay. Anyways, that's just my opinion on that and I've been I've had that opinion for a long time and a lot of people disagree with me. Oh well. The great thing about our anytime listener line is it never closes. You can call anytime you want. 8899 chart
1: Hey guys, just want to get your opinion on E-trade, E-T-F-C. uh come down from its 52-week high for a while and uh just looking at maybe a real long-term play here, kind of like a core holding going forward for maybe the next 10, 15 years. Um, What do you think would be a good buy point if you think it's a good idea in general? I'd love to hear what you think. Thanks.
2: Okay, E-Trade Financial Corporation provides online brokerage banking services primarily for retail clients worldwide. They are a $11.6 billion company. So it's a big cap company. I like E-Trade. They've made money for years, they're going to make $4.14 in 2019. That's about 3% more than last year. Next year, they're going to make $4.59, up about 11%. Sales have been increasing 20%, 20% a quarter, over quarter, for almost two years. So other people like E-Trade as well. Uh, they don't pay much of dividend, 1.2%. You don't, you're really buying this for the growth is what you're buying. And you that. And, and it's it's a big cap company, so you want to buy it when it's inexpensive. And the answer is, yeah, it's pretty inexpensive right now. The P.E. going forward is 10. The five-year range of the P.E. is 10 to 30. Return equity is 16%. They have very little debt. Uh, management owns a little bit, only 1%. Mutual funds have been buying over the last year, so yeah, this is a dip that you probably could buy. Now it fell all the way down to forty dollars, you know, at the end of December with the market. It's been it was falling ever since June when it was at sixty four dollars, and today it got up to about fifty dollars here a couple of weeks ago, and now it's at forty five dollars and ninety three cents. So, if you're asking me if this is a good value right where it is, yes, I think it is. Um, you know, you might want to wait till strength comes back or it retests maybe that $40 range, $41 range. And if it bounces off that, that'd be a good place to buy. Because it still, you know, still have it still has lower highs and lower lows right now. So from a charting point of view, it hasn't turned around yet. But the, from a value point of view, from what it's worth, this is a good place. This is a good time to own it because it's cheap. It's really cheap if we don't go into recession. I mean, I'm not. I don't think we're going to go in this year. If we do, it'll be the end of the year. But I'm feeling we might get into recession next year. But it could be avoided. It depends on depends on the rest of the world. If they start to pick up again, maybe that'll help. Um, the China. U.S. trade deal that depends on that. Um, so there's a lot of things that will depend on, and you know, if we can, if the Federal Reserve can have a soft landing, in other words, we had three percent growth last year, and this year we're gonna we're gonna have less. Uh, um, maybe we can avoid it. No one really knows, but maybe we can. Bank of Mary Merrill Lynch says keep buying the dips. They think. You should be buying the dips in the market. That's what they're pushing, buying the dips. They feel, reason, the reason why, they feel there will be a China-U.S. deal. There will be a trade deal some point because Trump needs it, and they think because he needs it for the next election that it will happen. Uh, they also think because of the policies come out of Washington, you know, the populism-type policies... Might what well, will spur the well, uh, will allow the consumers to be happy and keep the economy growing. And they think profits, corporate profits, will continually continue to be positive. They might be less this year, but the following year might be good comparisons. But they did say the profits are the main thing they would need to see. Okay, that's the ones they kind of focus because they said the companies have to stop their downgrades because companies have been downgrading their earnings coming up for 2019 and corporations need to stop doing that, announcing those downgrades. And if that happens, that'll make the markets stay positive and buoyant. That's what they're thinking. Well, yeah, who knows? Can they be right? I just want you to know that's the experts at Bank of America or Merrill Lynch. And experts are often wrong. Often. Not 10% of the time, not 20% of the time, but about 50% of the time. So this is a guess by an expert. That's what this is. This is best talk. I'm Steve Peasley. I understand that many investors can experience fear. When they're unsure of how much portfolio money they need to risk or should have at risk, people get fearful, and maybe they don't know how to control that risk. Well, I can help you with that. I can help you not only as a money manager, but I can just help you with that. And one of the ways I do that is ask have a questionnaire called um, uh, a Riskalyze questionnaire. Riskalyze is a company that produces the this software which is pretty good and what they do is they ask a series of questions three or four or five questions about how much risk how much risk are you willing to how much how much risk are you willing to take for how much reward and how much that reward also equates to a possible loss so here's the range are you happy at this range of risk and loss and it tries to narrow down how much you're comfortable with then if you give me your portfolio send me a copy of, I put it in the software. With the software, the portfolio, and we match it. And see if, see if we put them together and see if your risk tolerance matches. It's as simple as that, you know, and then you can tell if you're taking too much risk or not enough. If you want to t- take this little test, you go to investtalk.com. You'll see it. Investtalk.com. Risk questionnaire. 888-99-CHART.
0: This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And this philosophy is why KPP Financial can be of great value to investors. KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, are committed to unbiased guidance. They don't upsell clients into expensive and questionable investments. Instead, Steve and Justin provide honest opinions and proven strategies, Based on the individual's current portfolio and risk tolerance. Working with KPP Financial, you can be assured of consistent dedication toward the goal of helping you achieve financial freedom. You can get things started with a phone call or a simple message through investtalk.com. The InvestTalk Radio and Podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888-99-CHART.
4: Yeah, first name is Leanna, L-I-A-N-A, and I'm calling you. I was just uh, astoundedly, amazingly happy when I came across your station by accident, and I was mesmerized. I've been listening all day today since uh, I came upon your station, which I'm just so happy about. But the question being this, my children, uh, we are executives of uh, an estate, and our grandchildren, ages 10 and 7, are inheriting some money, and I'd like to know how we should invest it. We have priority over the money as far as you want to choose that word forever, actually. There's no set time as to when they receive the money, but we'd like to certainly give the money to them at a certain time and like to invest it in a very, very, you know, safe investment and one which you have to offer or, you you know, like give us some advice. And thank you very much. I just love your program. Thank you very, very much.
2: Bye-bye. Okay. If you want to keep it safe, you try not to expose it too much to the stock market because the stock market is not a safe place. But what you can do to try to maximize returns and not take hardly any risk is maybe build a bond ladder uh, with high-quality companies you know, that would pay high dividends. For instance, we have a program called the Stable Income Program. And all it is is a bond ladder, and the ladder means some bonds come due in a year, two years, three years, four years. The ladder is the number of years you go out. That's the rungs of the ladder. And we go out about five years or so, and we're getting over 5% on that money. So that would be the word you were using was safe. That would be a fairly safe way to go. We have other programs that has a half bond letter and half high-dividend-paying companies. You could do that. But if you're going to be absolutely safe, you can buy U.S. Treasuries, and you can do that yourself directly. It's called U.S. Treasury Direct, and it's super absolute safe, okay? Um, Safe as the U.S. government, at least. So it depends on what degree of safety you're looking for. The less degree of safety usually equates to more risk, and more return, but it doesn't always, because it's risky. So um, that's what you can do. Uh, I don't, I don't know the size. I don't know if it's like ten million dollars or a hundred thousand. I, I don't know, and that really doesn't matter because you asked about safety. You want a, the safe investment. I had that same situation. My younger brother passed away, and uh, he had no children, and he when he was like forty. Um, he has scleroderma, in case you don't know what that is. It's a pretty terrible disease. So he lived with me for his last few years. And he passed away, and I was an executor. And he gave, he gave the money to uh, three of his of our nieces and nephews, and, uh, but only gave it to them when they turned 18. Don't do that, by the way. Don't give them the money at 18. That is just foolish. Because I turned over the money, and I think it was about 70000 each, at age uh, 18, and every one of them blew through it within a year. 18's not old enough. Hi, Tendra. How you doing? Union City. How's it going? Good, uh, Steve.
0: Thanks for taking what? my call. Uh, looking for your uh, wisdom on uh, Apple. Uh, where do you think it's
2: headed? Is it going to go higher? <laughs> Now it's not going to go in a straight line. Uh, Apple is fairly inexpensive. It's a you know 14 PE uh, going looking forward, It's a 13 PE. Uh, they make really good money, and yeah, everybody didn't like them because you know the iPhone sales kind of was n- disappointing. So it went from 230 bucks all the way down to about 140. until it's 170. Well, I, I think that's a buying opportunity. Frankly, I really think it's a buying opportunity. I am um, I'm, I'm I've always been a little concerned that Apple's so dependent on that the the phone business but that's what they are that's the reality but I do like that their service business is growing 20% a year and I think that's the yeah. future and they've been buying assets that it, you know that they're going to they're buying assets they're going to do something with that huge cash hoard they have and I, I, whatever they do with it I think it'll be positive so I kind of like I kind of like at this price Okay, Hendred? Appreciate Great. the call. Thanks Thank you. So this is Invest Talk, and I'm Steve Peasley. Like all Invest Talk listeners, you too are working to achieve a comfortable financial future. We all do. I do. I've been doing it for years. So you must have investing questions. You gotta do something with that money. You can't just put it in the bank or under the mattress. So give me a call. 888 99 chart
0: This is Invest Talk. The weekend is here or almost here for most of us. If you've been following the market swings, you understand how important it is for you to have Steve and Justin's guidance. And right now, you can get your questions answered if you call the Invest Talk Anytime Listener Line 888 99 Chart.
1: Hi, Steve and Justin. I'm looking to diversify my portfolio. I don't really have anything in the health sector. And I was wondering what you guys thought of Quest Diagnostics, ticker symbol DGX. I'll listen to your answer on the podcast. Thank you very much.
2: Okay. Provides diagnostic testing and information at related services to the healthcare industry. It's a $12 billion company. It pays a 2.4% dividend. It makes six. It's going to make. $6.33 for 2018. Haven't got the numbers in yet for the final quarter. And 2019 is going to make $6.56. Well, it's a 24% jump this year and only about a 4 or 5% jump next year. Sales growth is only in the low single digits, 2 to 5%. So it's not a really fast grower. So this is the kind of stock you want to, it's not a fast grower, but the profits are very steady and they steadily go up every year and half for since forever. And so, you want to buy when it's cheap. What's cheap? Well, in the last five years, 12 to 22 has been the PE range, and right now it's 14. And based on next year's earnings, it's going to be about 13. So, it's fairly reasonable. Return to equity is pretty good at 15%. Good cash flow. Uh, Debt, debt, debt. A little bit of debt, but nothing they can't handle. Um, and mutual funds are buying it so Quest has gone from 110 112 all the way down to 82 dollars or so, and now it's at 89. Well, it's a good price, I can tell you that it's you know, it's a good price. Uh, you shouldn't have any problem owning this stock for the long term, as long as you're patient. You know, it, it, will, it will continue to rise, but it's not going to be you know, it's not. It's, it's fairly valued close to where it is, 90 to to $100 a share, So it's 89 right now. So don't expect it to skyrocket. It just probably won't, because the sales growth is not there. It's not strong enough. That's Quest Diagnostics DGX is the symbol, everybody. Let's go to James uh, in San Jose. Wants to talk about California income funds. How you doing, James?
0: Hi. uh, Thanks, Steve. Uh, Your program is really good. Just wanted to thank you on that. Thank you. I would like to ask you about the California tax-saving PIMCO funds. Uh, How safe are Mm -hmm. they and is it worth parking the money there instead of a saving account if you know you're going to need them five, six months down the lane?
2: Well, I'll tell you they're they're very, I don't remember. I want to say they're very safe. If it's a t- California tax-free bond of some kind, municipal bonds of some kind, they have a very low default rate, and a, a an ETF or a mutual fund of California tax-free bonds, um, you know, they're very diversified. So that's that's pretty darn safe. You you would likely, the chances are very high that you get your money back plus the yield that they're paying, whatever that is. So, yeah, I would say they're pretty safe. Okay, James? Okay. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, global economy is about to tip over. Well, maybe not. Uh, uh, We are going to feel, the global economy, as you know, you've heard me say, is slowing down. Okay, the IMF has reduced the projections, and there's certain. Italy's in recession, and Germany's struggling, and China's slowing down, and it's probably slowing down more than they tell us is slowing down. You know, there's all those different issues, and now the question is: Is it really going to? Can it roll over into recession? Of course, it could, but the odds are, according to the IMF, are not good. I think they think it won't. Will the EU fall into recession? All these countries are now realizing that, remember the EU stopped their quantitative easing on December 31st. Talk about being stupid. This is what I mean by the experts are often wrong. They are so wrong and it was so obvious, you can't stop QE when you're shrinking, your economy's going down the tubes. I mean, why are you doing that? That's going to slow it down more. But they did. They just, that, you know, this is I'm talking about the ECB, European Central Bank. One two, right. But, you know, I, China's already taken steps, not a big steps, to try to turn their economy around. I think it's gonna to come to global trade. I think that's what's gonna come down to, to. Stop them stop that possible recession worldwide. I'm Steve Peasley and this completes another Invest Talk program and I thank you for your loyal support, and calls, and questions. I really do. I want to have a great weekend, everybody. We'll be back Monday. Justin will be back Monday here on the show. And, of course, I'll be back on Tuesday. So have a great weekend, everybody. Mm.
1: Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically.